This is the Questions of Life podcast. I'm Kath, I'm here with Donald. Hello. We're here with some wonderful people. And in our session today, we are exploring questions around poverty and what our response to it should be. Enjoy the show. In the Bible, there are over 2,000 verses that talk about poverty and where God says to his followers, to today's Christians and those through generations gone, that we are to stand up for the rights of the poor, we are to defend the poor and the oppressed. Now, that's a lot of verses. That's a lot of time that the Bible gives to this subject. And that's fantastic. But as I look at what is going on in our country and in our world today, I don't see that many people being that proactive at standing up for the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Now, we always talk about football, uh, but there is a footballer at the moment, Marcus Rashford, MBE, who has done fantastically throughout the last few months, just standing up for those that can't afford school meals and other meals as well. And he's used his influence to to great effect, just uh, banging on about this cause and and having a go at government and getting people to sign petitions uh, and to get on board. And that's been fantastic. As far as I know, Marcus isn't a follower of Jesus, and we want to support and applaud all that he's doing. But we want to talk about Christians and Christianity and God and just a biblical response to what's being said in the Bible. This whole concept that we are to stand up for the poor and for the oppressed. So to begin with, just answer me this really simple starter question. How do you define who the poor are? And how do you define who the rich are? That is a really good question, and that's an important place to start. I think there are two uh, two types of poverty. So is what I, some people would call absolute poverty, and there was what some people would call relative poverty. And both are uh, difficult for those who are in that position. So I wouldn't want to say that one's less bad than the other. But absolute poverty, we might define as uh, not having enough food to eat, not having safe shelter at night, not having safe drinking water, not having uh, a significant, uh, uh, enough of an income to provide food every day. So that you might call absolute poverty. And that obviously is people's experience in different parts of the world. And for a, uh, a, a, a small number of people in Britain, but nevertheless, absolute poverty. So it's the lack of food mm-hmm. and a lack of shelter. Mm-hmm. So your life is at risk. Mm-hmm. Relative poverty is where you have a significantly lower standard of living, less resources than the people you live amongst, and that makes you feel excluded, and that makes uh, for, uh, um, for life to be hard because you are disadvantaged alongside uh, everybody else in your culture or your society or your country. So in the UK, relative poverty might be things like the inability to have nutritious food. It might be living in accommodation that is damp or, or unsafe in another way, maybe violent. It's, uh, as Marcus Rash was talking about, not having sufficient Uh, resources to have enough food every day. It's not necessarily risk of dying of starvation, but relative to the rest of society. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not an expert, and far more uh, learning people can explain these things greater than I, but relative poverty is, is equally debilitating for those who are in it, who just see, look, everybody else has got certain things, and we haven't got it in our culture. So that's what it is to be poor. Uh, and I suppose if we look at our country at the moment, we're going through lots of different discussions about people going into different tiers. There's the threat of people losing their businesses, their livelihood, money being cut. So this is quite an issue for, for some people in our society that may not be in the absolute category, but are in the relative. Uh, and that's still horrendous and stressful and really not a nice place to be in and I suspect those numbers are going to rise mm. in the coming weeks and months and, and years that what's happening now is going to have a significant effect upon our economy for generations mm. to come um, that's the sad truth of, of where we're at so there are many people that would fall into that that category of being poor how would you define someone who is rich I and think is there even, a middle ground yeah I think that's even harder to define and uh when I was a young uh, hothead, I used to define richness as anybody who had more money than me. And unfortunately, <laughs> I think a lot of us do apply. Rich, uh, whatever richness, it's not me, but it's the next bracket up. So I think it is difficult to define. I think it's important to say it's nothing really to do with income. It's more to do with uh, what we hang on to. Mm -hmm. So I would... So it's, I, I don't think it's something that one can judge and say you are rich and mm -hmm. use it as a, a weapon or a condemnation of somebody else. I don't, and I've been down that road and that's as a younger person how I often felt and actually it just eats me up and it doesn't help at all. So I've tended to, to back away from trying to define whether other people are rich. But I think to ask of that of myself, it's to do with how much I'm holding on to Again, relative to the to the world's needs and to uh, what others around have. If I live in a community, for example, and I have, I don't know, five, ten times as much as the people I live amongst in terms of resources, in terms of savings, in terms of uh, my wealth available to me, then I'm moving towards rich. I don't want to define it, but it's that sense of having a lot more than others that we're not sharing, that we're not giving uh, away. So there is a middle ground. Uh, clearly, the Bible doesn't want everyone to be poor and doesn't want everyone to be rich. So there must be a middle ground, which is where we are generous, where we are sharing, where we're making sure that we're not living amongst people who have nothing and that if there's anybody in our community who has nothing, we uh, redistribute what we have to ensure that they have something. But I don't think the Bible particularly teaches that everybody has exactly the same amount. I think there are differences. So we've got to try and narrow the extremes, I guess is what, what it's about. Clearly, when a very small proportion of the world's population have a huge proportion of the world's wealth, you would define them as rich, and that that's not what God in, wants or intends. But I don't think it's helpful for us to say, okay, because I'm not a billionaire, I'm not rich. I think, I think it's, it's helpful to, to constantly question ourselves 
without condemnation, without guilt, without rebuke, but constantly reassessing and saying, you know, do I really need all that I have? Is the stuff I can share? Is the stuff I can give away? Uh, if we are not in any shape or form giving stuff away, if we're not in any giving any percentage of our income away, then I think that's unhealthy. It's interesting, isn't it? If you look at it from a, a world, a global perspective, then I suspect the majority of people in this country would be in the middle or in the rich category. But actually in the midst of this country, then we've got that swinging scale where there'd be a percentage of people that wouldn't. They'd be in the poor, mm -hmm. maybe the upper poor, middle. Um, and I think you're so right. I think it's not about comparing yourself to the next person. It's not about saying, oh, how much have they got? Are they richer than me? Am I richer than them? It's about saying, what have I got? And what am I going to do with it? Mm -hmm. What will bless my society I live in? What will bless the world I live in? Because we can have all of the money in the world and we just don't need it. We can have all of the possessions in the world and we don't need them. They don't make us happy. We do not find contentment and peace and happiness and all of these things in material possessions and in money. But I don't want to decry the, the plight that many people find themselves in, that it is just horrendous trying to make ends meet, not having uh, nutritious food. All of the things that you've talked about is a, a horrendous place to be in. And that's partly why God in the Bible is so keen. And, and there are all these thousands of verses where God is saying, guys, you've got to do something about this. You can't just sit back and say, Jack's all right. It's okay. I've got enough. But actually, you ought to get active and to get involved because there are many, many poor people. So God defends the poor. And God tells us, uh, as his followers, we've got to do something about it. The Bible's got an interesting view of the rich in some ways. Because if you look at, say, Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler, you look at him talking about it being incredibly difficult for somebody who is rich to enter into the uh, kingdom of God. Do you think, what do you think God's saying in that? What do you think God thinks of those that are rich? Is it weighted more towards the poor? Is he having a go at the rich? What, what's Jesus, when Jesus is talking about that, what's Jesus up to? I think Jesus is critical of people who do not give money away. I'm not talking about giving all our money away, and I'm not talking about having a low income. So there are people who we might consider wealthy that I, don't, that I think God entrusts with more money and blesses them because they are generous people. But I think there is no doubt that Jesus is very critical of people who stockpile and do not give. Yeah. Um, so he does talk about that it's harder for a rich man to enter the, the kingdom of heaven mm -hmm. than it is for, and then he uses this very strange analogy, yep. for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And people try and explain, or oh, he doesn't mean literally or whatever. That Whatever the preciseness of that phrase, the gist is clear. He's saying that wealth is a barrier to really knowing God. And I think that taps into another issue, which is the whole problem of materialism, of putting our trust in money mm -hmm. and possessions and looking to money and possessions as a source of security, as a source of happiness mm -hmm. and as a source of our moral ethic. In other words, we'll do whatever makes us the most money. 
And that the Bible is extremely critical of. And it talks about you can't serve God and money. So there is a criticism of not giving money away, but there is also a warning not to put our trust in wealth, not to think that wealth will solve all our problems, not to think that money will make us happy, and not to replace God with money. And all of that means that people who are unable to give money away will find it very difficult to fully embrace Christianity because at the heart of Christianity is this call to share what we have. And there is really, I don't think, any way of avoiding that. It is there, as you say, in many, many verses. It's not a command to give all our money away. Mm -hmm. It's not a command to be poor, but it is a command to be generous and to make sure that there are people among us who do not have significantly less than we have. So what we're saying is that what God wants is for us to follow him with all of our hearts and to be open-handed and to say, God, this is my life. I'm putting you first. Thank you for the things that I have. And I want to use all that I've got to be a blessing. Uh, And often when we've got our hands full of money and material possessions, it's difficult to open them up to God and to say, here I am, because we're grasping those things and we're putting our trust in them. And it's a sense of laying those down and saying, here I am. In the midst of that, then, is it okay to have a big house? Is it okay to have a new car? You know, if I'm, if I'm tithing, if I'm giving my money away, if I'm giving donations to the food bank, you know, do I have to live such a frugal life that nobody knows I've got any money? I say, I, oh, you know, you've seen my car, you've seen yeah. my house. Yeah. But I'm very grateful for both of them but we're not talking about millionaires row here, are we? Mm. Mm. I, I, I don't think it's up to anybody else to judge another person. And I do think God wants diversity and I do think he, he gives us different things. And I think he does encourage some people to have large houses and to use them to the glory mm. of God. I do think God wants us to have a car and I do think that it's good to have a car that's reliable and I do think it's good to uh, be able to, to use our car to the glory of God. So I don't think we should be saying you have to have the worst house, the worst car and, and, and all of that. I think that's unhelpful. I do think there is a point which is for up to others to decide in their own life where you say, I don't need the next bracket up. Mm. I don't need the next model I don't need the next postcode. I don't need the next number of bedrooms. Mm -hmm. I don't need a new kitchen that often. I think that there is a restraint Mm -hmm. where we should live. So I think I would put it this way. I think we should live not as the most extravagant people in whatever community we live amongst. Mm -hmm. That we should always live a life that challenges those who have made materialism their God. So we should, whatever community we're in, I don't think we should be the poorest because that means that we'll be dependent on others and and that's, Mm. I don't think, the thing that God is calling us to do. Mm. But I do think we should live a life that challenges the generosity of those who think there is no, that that money is their God. So in whatever community, whether it's Sutton Coldfield, whatever Mm. it is, we should live a life that's slightly below what might, people might expect of us that just slightly challenges us. But it's not to do with the size of house, the number of car, 
So we have, or when we replace our car, or how often we wear new clothes, or, or, or whatever. I think that one of the other things we have to balance is that God has given us stuff in part because he wants to bless and encourage and that we should enjoy uh, celebration. We should enjoy things. So you've got to, it's all about balance. But that's really difficult then. So let's say that um, you've lost your job in the midst of the pandemic. You're wondering where you're going to have the money to feed your kids. Yeah. And you say, great, God's blessing people in Sutton Coldfield with, with all these things. Wonderful. Why isn't God blessing me? Yeah. That doesn't seem fair. No. What would your response to that be? I think that as a community, we should be making sure that we stand alongside those that are financially struggling. And as a church, that's what we try to do. And I don't think if we... The, the Bible is really clear. If you see your brother or sister, you see somebody in need who you know well and you're in community with, you need to make sure that you, you look after them. At the same time, we cannot fix everything in the world. And, and this is something I've grappled with over the years. You know, if, if I gave away money until there was no more need in the world, I would become part of the need. I would need other people to provide for me. So there has to be a point where I say, I need to look after me and my own family rather than give everything away and then need somebody else to look after me. Mm -hmm. And I also need to be grateful for what God has given me. And it, it, it's, it's a really complex thing. Uh, I, we are confronted with needs all the time. I am, as a, the leader of the church, aware of people's needs in the church all the time and, and how we try to support people without saying that we can fix everything. It's, it's painful and it's tricky. And I don't think we are ever meant to be comfortable. We are meant to always be challenging ourselves and thinking, am I doing enough? But at the same time, I don't think it is helpful to uh, become part of the problem ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the fact that we're never going to fix poverty. And that picks up on a couple of uh, things that the Bible talks about. So if we look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, it says, there will always be poor people in the land. And then Jesus in John 12, verse 8 says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Mm. So I suppose two questions. Number one, why doesn't God fix it? Why doesn't God just eradicate poverty and distribute the world's resources and sort everything out? And number two, why don't we go after something that is fixable? Why don't we just say, well, okay, the Bible said this is always going to be. Let's turn our attention to something else. Let, let's fight another cause because we're not going to win this one. I'm a huge believer <laughs> in balance. And I think that uh, it's really important to, to, to have a sense of balance. It is true that the Bible says we're always going to have poor amongst us. And that's because poverty is fundamentally caused by sinfulness. It is caused by mankind's rejection of, his, of God's principles and values. So this side of heaven, there will always be poverty. In, in heaven, there will not be poverty. And so we're building that kingdom. And our job is to bring a taste and a flavor of the kingdom of heaven now. Our job is also to act with compassion and mercy and care for those who are in need. So we must always do what we can 
for the poor without becoming disillusioned that we don't fix it. And, and this is the tension. It's the same, actually, it's the same issue with, with make, being a peacemaker. We are called to, seek to make peace, but we know there will always be conflict. Mm. And it's having this balance of saying, I'm, I'm going to strive for this goal without ever feeling defeated that we don't quite get there. So we are always called to battle against the consequences of sin in our world. We're never to accept evil. We're never to accept injustice. We're never to accept oppression. But neither are we to burn out and become disillusioned because we didn't fix everything in our first five years as a Christian. Mm -hmm. In heaven, it will all be sorted. But right now, we balance that it's there, but we're to address it and do what we can. And how do you do what you can without getting frustrated and thinking this is a never-ending issue? I can't remember whether we talked about this before, but one of the great stories that lots of people know and I found very helpful is the boy on the beach with the starfish. And the story is, the parable is, uh, that there is a boy who walking along a beach the day after a storm and the storm has thrown up uh, hundreds and thousands of little starfish onto the beach who are... Um, suffocating. Are they suffocating? Whatever it is, they're dying because of lack of water. water. So that would be the opposite of suffocating. Whatever that is, text us in and yeah. Google and let us Help know us what the opposite, what the word yep. is. <laughs> and uh, this little boy starts to throw them back in one at a time, and, a, and an, an older, more wiser guy comes along and uh, is actually frustrated with this boy. And he says to the boy, what's the point? You cannot possibly solve this problem. You cannot possibly save all the starfish mm. on this beach. You are one child and there are hundreds and thousands of them. What's the point? And the little boy is, uh, continues and he throws another starfish into, back into the water. And he says, it may not make any difference to the beach, but it makes a difference to this one. Mm. And he throws it back in. Mm. And I guess that has always inspired me that at the end of the day, I, don't, I am not responsible for the world's problems. I am responsible for doing what I can with my life, with my day, with my resources, with the people God has placed in my life. Mm -hmm. And I may not be able to make a difference to everybody, but if I can help one person today, if I can do one thing that solves one person's needs, then it's worth doing. Mm -hmm. And I tend to leave the big picture to God. And, mm. I, and I think that because at the end of the day, what God is after is everybody doing something mm. rather than us giving up and saying we can't do anything. And we'll look at some of those practical things in a bit, but I think, I think you're so right. We can get suffocated by the bigger picture and just demoralized and defeated. But if we just say, this is my life, this is my sphere of influence, God, this is where you have put me, Use me today, use me tomorrow, use what I have, my time, my resources, my food cupboard, whatever it might be for you. That's our starting point yeah. and that's the way to yeah. go. Rather than, oh my life, look at everything. These people don't have water here, they don't have food here, they can't do this, they can't do that. You'll get so overwhelmed, you won't start or be able to do anything. It'll be like, this is too much and you crash and burn. But it's just starting where you're at. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, I talked, we did Cafe Church last week and I talked about being a, a street lamp rather than a firework. And a firework is big and glorious and burns out. And I guess that for me, I've worked, tried to work out what do I need financially to mm -hmm. live a life for Jesus? 
And that means I do need some resources. That mm. do, does mean I needed a house. That does mean from time to time I need a new car. And your um, wardrobe, obviously, that costs a lot of money, doesn't it? You well, put a lot of I money do tend to that. go for the recycled cheap <laughs> brands. Uh, that's true. Uh, but also, I know that there is a place to restore me and to rebuild me. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel guilty that I spend money watching football. I don't feel guilty that I spend money going for walks because I know to, to spend 40 years serving, if you like, serving the poor in some shape or form, I need to have the Sabbath. I need to have the thing that restores. Mm -hmm. So it's getting that balance, as you're absolutely saying. It's not being burnt out by it. It's being a street lamp. It's far more used to a community than a firework. The firework's gone the next day. To, so we've got to manage our resources to, to be there for the long haul and, and, and to care for and do what we can for the poor consistently and, and with stability. Now, sometimes when we look at the poor in our communities, some people we look at and we think, oh, you know, you've done nothing to deserve that. Poor you. That's awful you've lost your job or, or whatever's happened to you. And there's a, a whole load of sympathy that comes out of us and inspires us to get involved. Sometimes we look at those that find themselves in financial difficulties and maybe they've made choices. Uh, maybe they've uh, in, put their money in things that we perhaps wouldn't. You know, I've, I've heard people say, well, well, look at them. Why should we help them? They've got satellite TV. They've got a mobile phone. They've got this. They've got that. You know, they need to give up all those things and then we'll think about helping them. They need to help themselves before we help them. What do you think of that? You know, should we pick and choose who we help? No. Should we be the, the judge of who is deemed worthy of us getting involved with? This is a really passionate issue for me. Some, because we run, we run a food bank and, and, and I've been a huge champion to make sure that we do that and for us to have a non-judgmental policy. And I, so this is an area that I feel very strongly about. It is fundamentally true that, let's, I'm going to be careful, you need to hear the whole of my sentence okay. here. 100% of people who are in poverty are sinners. 100% have made poor choices and mistakes. The issue also is that 100% of us who are not in poverty are sinners mm -hmm. and have made poor choices mm -hmm. and have spent money on things we shouldn't have done. But for different reasons, our mistakes have not led to poverty. So it's very easy to look at somebody who's needing food from our food bank and say, well, if you didn't do this, if you hadn't done that, then you wouldn't be in this situation. Mm -hmm. And on the face of it, that is true. Mm -hmm. so many of those who come for food have addictions. Mm -hmm. Many of those who come for food have uh, made poor choices in, in terms of maintaining employment, mm -hmm. maybe in getting qualifications, maybe in holding relationships down. Mm -hmm. However, the rest of us have made poor choices in relationships. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people who have addictions that are not poor. There are plenty of people who have broken relationships who ha are not poor. There are plenty of people who've lost jobs who are not poor. So what happens is that poverty is normally caused by 
a combination of our failure, and whoever is without sin can throw the first stone. Whoever has not done foolish things can throw the first stone. Partnered with some other structural issues that mean when some people make their mistake, the safety net isn't there. So that what I'm talking about is that there may not be the family support that I have, mm. that the mistakes I've been, I might have made, other people around in my wider family to bail me out. Mm. I uh, have had the privilege of having gone to a decent school, ordinary comprehensive, but I was taught well. I have decent qualifications. Other people have not had that privilege. I don't uh, suffer from mental ill health. Other people do. I don't uh, have violent or abusive family members. Other people do. I don't have disabilities. Other people do. So poverty is never caused simply, in my view, by sin of the individual. It is partly the sin of the individual and partly the sin of the community that we allow inadequate support for those with mental illness, that we allow children to leave education without sufficient qualifications, that we allow relationships to get to such destructive levels without proper nurturing care of how to build relationships, that we allow um, insufficient housing and inadequate housing that we allow people who are battling with addictions to go unsupported. And one of the things that we know firsthand in our church and the way we try and help people who come to our food bank is that sometimes if you have the wrong appearance, you don't get the same support. And then to battle to get that support is incredibly difficult. Mm. So my fundamental view, you know, it, it boils down to a lot of this story of Jesus we talked about before where they bring to him a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And he says, look, if anybody... And they, they want to stone this woman because she's clearly broken the law. And, and he says, look, if anyone is without sin, they can throw the first stone. I don't feel judging a person whose mistakes have had disproportionate consequences does anybody any good. Mm. And I don't think it's what God calls us to do. Mm. He calls us to say, look, if, you, if, you're, if you're perfect, then you've got the right to judge. But since none of us are perfect. Uh, so I might, I mean... I, I'm going to get it on a hobby horse here, for example. But, 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 so I've never, ever been drunk in my life just because I don't like alcohol. I gave up alcohol at the age of 17. I've been teetotal. But I would say that only the people who've never, ever got drunk have any right to criticise someone 
who through alcohol mistakes are, are, are in poverty. And I don't think there's many people in our culture who've never got drunk. By the grace of God, alcohol has never been an issue for me. But I have no right to judge somebody else for whom it's got a hold. Because the vast majority, I think, of our British culture have had an evening where alcohol got out of control. So how are we the right to judge other people for whom it's not an evening, it's now a daily pattern? And I think God calls us to look with compassion. He, looks at, he calls us to not throw stones. Mm -hmm. Because, so I'm, I'm getting into sermon mode, apologies. You might need to stop me and ask another question. But I think there are two things that, that, that we're called to do as Christians. And the one is to model grace. The one is to demonstrate what God's love is like. We are to live out what Jesus is doing on the cross. And what Jesus is doing on the cross is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Velma and Paul expressed that really eloquently mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. We are called to model grace. We are not called to be judges. We are called to be the people who show the world what mm -hmm. grace is. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing we're called to do. And the second thing in the area of poverty that we're called to do is to be those who stand against oppression. Mm -hmm. And there are numerous ways in which once you're on the road to poverty, you are then disadvantaged in our mm -hmm. culture and you don't have adequate support and you don't have adequate access to the help that perhaps you might need. Mm -hmm. And I think as Christians, we're called to, to point that out. So I would give you a tiny, tiny example, which is that all of us need gas and electricity and we all pay a rate for our gas and electricity. And we um, uh, pay our bills. Many of us will pay it direct debit or whatever, and we'll pay a certain amount per unit. When you're living in the poorest accommodation, you have a machine that does it for you. So you put in, you top it up with your key, or you, in the old days, you put money in the slot. The rate of, per unit of electricity for those machines is far higher. In other words, those of us who are wealthy pay less for our electricity mm -hmm. and our gas than those who are poor. I think that's wrong. I think that's unjust. I think the, 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 the amount should be the same. And, and what are you doing about that? Well, I think, this, <laughs> I <laughs> think these are the you, issues but, yeah, absolutely. that ought to... Mm be the questions that you ask your politicians yeah. and be the kind of things that mm -hmm. determine how you vote. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and that we're aware of these, these things. Uh, as a church, we have talked about this and tried to... Uh, um, we've talked with electricity companies. We've, mm -hmm. we've tried to, mm -hmm. to do something about that and, and mm -hmm. with limited success. And to be fair, some of the gas and electricity providers do more than others. Mm -hmm. But it is, for me, a fundamental issue of injustice. So as a Christian, I'm firstly called to model grace. Yeah. I'm secondly called to spot injustice and do something about it. So you listed a whole different host of injustices. You listed them uh, from giving our children an education to housing to all of these different things. 
So are you saying we need to be standing up and signing petitions, seeing what's going on locally, just having some kind of voice into politically what's happening? Well, you've got to balance it with a starfish issue. There's so many areas. So I'm not calling everybody to, to, to campaign on every single issue. Some of us will have something that's deeply on our heart that we will get involved in. Mm -hmm. I, think what it is, I think it is important just to be slightly aware of what causes, just as we did the, 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 the session with, with, with Velma and Paul, to be aware of what causes these things. I think it is important to just have an eye and see what mm -hmm. causes things. But I think fundamentally, when it comes to your vote, and an election, we need to vote on what is best for the poor, not what is best for me. Mm -hmm. That may mean we pay higher taxes. Mm -hmm. That may mean that my standard of living is slightly readjusted by the state. Mm -hmm to ensure good education, to ensure mm -hmm. good hospitals, to ensure uh, good support for, for mental illness, to ensure good support for drug and alcohol addictions. That, that, that we should be looking for the politicians that are saying, this is what we need to do as a state mm -hmm. to help. Mm -hmm. But it's not just the state, it's us as individuals and it's the church. So I think it's a balance, but we need it on the one hand to be aware, on the other hand not to be engulfed and defeated by it. I follow a few different people on social media that kind of speak into these things and quite often they'll put a petition up and so I'll look into what is it about, do I agree with this, do I want to put my name to it? And uh, so the ones that I have done, I've probably done about four in the last year to do with lots of different things, some of the environment, some of poverty. And uh, a copy of that goes to my local MP. So you type in your postcode. Yeah. I have to give him his credit. Every time he's got back in touch with me, he's written me a personalised letter. He's offered to talk to me about it. And then when he's raised it, he comes back to me and says, this is what I've done and this is what's happened. Now, he might send that personalised letter out to everybody, I don't care. But the very fact that I'm making him have to do that and I'm making him have to be accountable. Have you taken that to the Houses of Parliament? Have you said something? Yes, you have. Great. You know, that is a start for me. So there are lots of different uh, yeah. organisations and people that we can follow that help you with that. They'll say, did you know there's this happening? Did you know there's that happening? Uh, but there are different degrees of it. So some are really fanatical and they'd get you to sign a petition every five minutes uh, and it's not feeling bombarded it's feeling like you say what 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 are my passions what's going on in my area what are the things that i think actually that's not right mm. uh, i want to be standing with those people that are standing up against it i want my mp to know this is how i feel and i want you to reflect that when you speak about this uh, in wider circles into other people so I think that's one of the... I'm always negative about social media. For me, that's one of the really good things about social media. It educates you. You get different perspectives. Uh, and that's really, really helpful. So we've talked about not judging. We've talked about, here by the grace of God go I. 
You know, we've all got skeletons in our closets. We've all got areas that, that we've uh, made mistakes in. And as a church, we welcome people. We welcome people if they make the same mistake week in, week out. You know, we've had people that have come to the food bank that um, haven't always been that pleasant or that helpful. Um, but we've never given up on them. Mm. You know, we've often had to get other people involved and what have you. But there's never come a point where we've said, actually, there's no hope for you. Mm. Our, our desire has been, what can we do to help? And sometimes we can't help. And like you say, it's finding the battles that are right for us that we can fight and doing the things that, that we can do in our area of influence where we can make a difference. I always think that question about would I be prepared for my taxes to go up and for my standard of living to go down? Would I be prepared to say, yes, I want that so that others' standard of living would raise in our country? And that's a real... Um, litmus test I think for us as individuals and, and followers of Jesus you know what is my response what more taxes I'm going to go down what will that mean oh will I not be able to watch football will I not be able to do this it's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going. Uh, the trouble with the internet is you say things that get yourself in trouble. But <laughs> I, I, I just, I've said enough things that get yourself in trouble. I fundamentally think you need to think of taxing taxes as giving. Mm-hmm. That the Bible tells us to be to give, and it tells us to give to the poor. And when we pay our taxes, we are giving to the poor. Mm. You're giving them a police officer. You're giving them a hospital bed. You're giving them an education. Some of us can afford to have our own private health and our own yeah. private education yeah. I, I can't but some of us can yeah. but when you pay a tax you're giving it's not a negative thing it's mm. not all oh, the government's taking money off me it's that we are choosing to support our community and mm. to give to the poor and I think that we need to see taxation as a, a command of God Mm. Well, I go strong as that, but I'm going to get emails. But I do, <laughs> I do feel yep. that it's important. Yeah. And I, let, me, let me shift it back to a more biblical thing. One of the things that drives me, and it really does drive me, is the story that Jesus talks about the Day of Judgment, and he talks about separating uh, people. And, he, uh, and there were people who were told that they weren't going to enter the kingdom of heaven who thought they would. Mm -hmm. And they say to Jesus in this story, uh, you know, what did we do wrong? And he says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe mm -hmm. me. Uh, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. Mm -hmm. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. Mm -hmm. And they say to him, Lord, when did we, we, we mm -hmm. never saw you. You didn't mm -hmm. come to us. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say, whenever mm. you didn't do that, you rejected mm. me. And I consciously think mm. on the occasions, and I don't do it as much as some of the other staff in the team, but over the years I've dealt with a lot of different people. I've dealt with some very unpleasant and difficult characters. Mm. And I think, but I need to treat this person like Jesus. Mm. I need to treat them like Jesus. Yeah. That may mean I have to say no, and it may mean I have to, but I still have to treat them like Jesus. 
And, and that for me is the challenge. That I, don't ever, I don't want to meet with Jesus and him say, do you know what, I visited you. I was disguised mm. as someone in mm. real need who was awkward and smelly and uncomfortable, yeah. but you turned me away. Mm. And, and, I, and I, I take that literally. Mm. And, I, and it drives me that I want to be able to say, Jesus, whenever I met you, mm. I, I treated you well. Mm. It's interesting. We often think that the first and most important thing to do in all of these situations is to pray. Now, I'm not saying that prayer isn't important and shouldn't underpin everything that we do. But I think sometimes we can pray, oh, Lord, would you feed the poor? Would you house those that are homeless? And we have all, you know, our hearts are in it. It's, it's great. It's a real heartfelt prayer. And then we get on about our business. And there can't be this disconnect between reading what the Bible says between praying and recognizing. And we've said this before that sometimes, and in this, we have to be the answers to some of these prayers that we're praying, that we can't just say, God, will you fix this and sort it? God says, great, let's do it together. Let's just, you like the little child with the starfish, one by one, let's take a tin out of your cupboard when you're going shopping. Let's add in a few extra tins and a jar of coffee that you can give it to the food bank. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that sense of prayer is great. We need to do. So here's a situation that lots of people ask me about. And I know what I do in this situation. So quite often in Sutton or in Birmingham, you'll come across somebody who is begging. Uh, they would say, I've got no money. I can't afford to eat. I'm sleeping rough. Lots of people will have come into contact with these different kind of folks. Uh, and some people are scared. What do I do? Do I just give money? Do I not give money? What would be your advice in that just very practical situation? Uh, in, but in, Sutton, in, in the place where you live, I think it's slightly different to a place where you're a stranger. So in the place where I live, uh, I have sought to develop relationship with the, the folks that beg here in Sutton. So I will not give cash. Mm -hmm. because the vast majority of times that's not really going to be a long-term solution, particularly if there are addictions. Yeah. So there are two things that I, that I will do. I will always say to someone, is there anything I can get you? Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, the particular shops that I shop at, I've, I will speak always to the people that are, that are there and I'll get to, you get to know them. Mm -hmm. And I think lots of us do. Mm. And you say, is there anything you need? Uh, so I know certain guys, I know which sandwich they want from mm -hmm. Tesco's Express. Mm. The ham without mayonnaise. Mm. Uh, I know uh, which coffee a certain person wants. And I say, is there anything I can get you? And I've learned that quite often I say, no, I'm all right today. Yep. But then it's about relationship. I, I guess most of these guys know that we have the food bank here. So again, I will say, look, if you need more food, come to the food bank here between uh, 10.30 and 3, Monday to Friday. Uh, if you meet someone who's new and they don't know about that, I think that's worth, worth doing. Some of the, the, the guys I see when I'm walking the dog in the park, uh, and I just say, how are you doing today? I just treat, want to give people dignity and, uh, and just build relationship. Mm. I think that... Uh, uh, most of the time, the first couple of times, I say, can you give me some money? Can you spare me some cash? And, and I just say, I don't do that. If you want something from that shop, I'll go and get it to you. And I think they get used to that. 
and I don't have that issue with the vast majority. They don't ask me for money anymore. They kind of know that that's not what I do. Mm. Um, so that's what I would advise you to do. If you're in Birmingham, when you're not so likely to build a relationship, I think if you've got space to do it, I think it's worth saying, do you need anything? Can mm. I get you anything from that shop? Mm. Uh, and, and most of these folks have a little bit of food and a drink and occasionally a bus ticket. I wouldn't go beyond that. Yep. Um, occasionally, I've topped people's phones up. Uh, occasionally, I've gone and got um, tokens for the, or put money on their gas card or electricity card because that can't be used in any other way. Uh, so you, you, you go to the local news agents that does that and you take the card and you say, you top up a phone. So those kind of things I would do. Um, see, a phone is a, this classic example of relative poverty. I think it's very easy for us to say, why does anybody need a phone? What we need to understand now is that the vast majority of, of resources that people access are accessed through the internet. Yeah. They are not, you cannot go to an office and talk to somebody in the vast mm -hmm. majority of cases and they're going to phone you. Mm -hmm. So actually a mobile phone with a little bit of the ability to, to log into housing, for example, you cannot mm -hmm. access housing except through the internet. Mm -hmm. It's a necessity in our mm -hmm. relative culture. So topping mm -hmm. up people's phones is actually quite a significant thing when people are waiting for a call about their benefits, when they're waiting for a call about a doctor's appointment, when they're trying to... I mean, you and I know how difficult it is to get a doctor's appointment. You imagine doing that if you don't know whether you've got internet access or a phone. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly mm -hmm. difficult. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things. Don't give money. I don't think it ever really helps, but a sense of treating a person as an individual and the local things that you can do. That's what I would advise. Also, just to say, don't give people lifts on your own in no. the car. Don't have them over to your house. Yeah. People are just so open-hearted and generous and want to bless, but sometimes, I'm not saying for all people, but sometimes you don't want to put yourself yeah. in that situation. Yeah. You want yeah. to protect yourself, yeah. particularly women and men, yeah. and just be sensible yeah and if you feel the person you're talking to is being aggressive or unhelpful then make sure you go to a safe place go into that shop do whatever it is it's very rare we come across i mean we know most of the people in sutton uh, and and it's it's rare the majority of those yeah. we have any hassle with and like you one of the things that i love is that if you ask the guys is there anything i can get you today um some of them will say oh actually do you know what just a coffee would be great you know, they're not, oh, yes, right, now you're asking, so here's my list, I want this, this, and this. They're decent. We love our boys in, in Sutton because we've built a relationship and they know they can come to us yeah. for help and they know that they're loved and they're valued. I, I had a lovely situation, which I think I may share with other people before, that there's one, one of the folks that I, I regularly support when I go shopping, uh, and very, I would say four times out of five, they will say, no, I'm fine. And one occasion... Uh, they said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And I said, oh, what, what do you need? And they said, it's not me, it's that person over there. Can you do... And, and mm. I just thought that was fantastic. Yeah. That they wanted me to help somebody else. Yeah, yeah. That they're not just in it for themselves. There's a sense of, you know, you've blessed us. We want you to bless yeah. others as well. Yeah. We, we, but you have to... You're so right. You have to be wise. 
you have to have boundaries because uh, I've dealt... There are times when you... Uh, whenever you hear the more convoluted story, I tend to say, don't tell me the story. I don't need to know the story. I'm going to help you whether mm. you tell me or not. <laughs> yeah. Because there's, there can be a sense of manipulation and, and all kinds of exaggerated stories. And the truth is, is always... I much prefer not needing to know the truth. I'm going to give you a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. You don't need to tell me a story as to how you, why you need a cup of coffee. I'm going mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, though, that there are some people that feel they need to justify why they're coming for help because it's such a big thing. Yeah. And some of the lovely relationships that have been built through our food bank of people initially coming in, just very apologetic, just, oh, this has happened, this is such a nightmare, I'm so sorry but are so grateful. And then spent time with us. There have been folks that have come and helped out a little bit that actually have then gone on to find a job and things. And there's such joy and, and delight when you can just be a place of blessing where yeah. all are welcomed, where you're not judged. Where actually, okay, so you, you're asking for some food. You're asking for this. Okay. You know, we're not mugs. We're not taken for a ride. And if we are, so be it. I'd rather be taken for a ride than Jesus say, I turned up, where were you, Kath? You yes. told me no. I'm sure I'm taken for a ride. I know that. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I get to heaven, Jesus will say, it doesn't matter about the people who took me for yeah. a ride. Because what I really don't want to do is to have turned Jesus away. Absolutely. Right, we're drawing to a close. I've just got one question that's come in uh, from Paul. Um, he says, there's been a lot of talk of poverty from a materialistic point of view. Can I ask about spiritual poverty? What is it? How is it defined? What can we do about it? So, oh, Schrade is applauding <laughs> that question. Well done, Paul. You've got a reaction out of Schrade. Uh, so spiritual <laughs> poverty is a sense of feeling completely unworthy, completely useless, completely yeah. having no confidence before God. And, and there's no doubt that that's part of God's care and compassion for the poor. There is a sense in which that's a good place to start our relationship Yep. So there's a connection between spiritual poverty and humility. But then we need to, to sort of discover and, and receive the love of God <laughs> and, and work out that God really cares for us. What's he going to do? He's not scratching our bottom yet. <laughs> I don't know what Shred's doing. You know what Shred? Uh, <laughs> so I think that uh, it's important for us to recognize those people who feel completely unworthy. Yeah who feel completely broken, yeah. who feel completely useless. And that's where grace and compassion comes mm -hmm. in. And I think spiritual poverty and physical poverty are, are, are very often connected. Mm. In other words, people who are experiencing financial poverty often feel completely unworthy of yeah. God's love, yeah. feel completely uh, ashamed, judged, and feel spiritually poor. So it's very important for them, for us to bring in this sense of value, that, that people are worth something and, and have significance and are cared for. Mm. So we've had a question from Ian talking about the fact that we talk a lot about meeting people's needs now. Uh, and just two things. Firstly, how do we begin to think about helping people to move on from where they are? And how do we make sure that there's not an unhealthy dependency? I think this is a very important and difficult and complex issue. It's undoubtedly true that if you do everything for somebody, they can become stuck. Mm. 
But it's also true that some people are not able to get out of the situation they're in. So you, you have to kind of balance it, if, if you like. So at the end of the day, I think it's very important that people own the choices they make and that we don't do things for people, that we, we might provide food that day, but we don't tell them how to live their life. I think that's really important. So one of the things that we would try to do as a church is firstly, we try to signpost. So we try to help people be aware of what they can access and who they can phone. So we give people the phone. But, and sometimes we speak on their behalf, but only with them there. We're really trying to help them move forward. Uh, at the end of the day, the food that we provide is not enough to live on. It's a bag of food that if you ate nothing else would last three days, mm -hmm. and we only give it once a week. Mm. So we're not... If it's a safety net, yep. and it's not the nicest food in the world. It's cheap yep. food. Yep. So we're providing a safety net for people. Um, but we have to continually ask them what they are doing and what they, they are thinking about. So there are all kinds of different issues. So those folks who have really severe mental health issues, it's very difficult for them to make choices. So we might do more on the phone for them. We mm -hmm. might do more to try and get them the support workers that they need. And that's very, very difficult. So there are some people who have mental health issues who from the outside look like they're dependent on us. In other words, they come in some cases two or three times a week, some cases every week and we give them food. And we could be open to the charge of creating dependency. I would more likely say our culture has abandoned them and mm. they need support and they're not getting mm. support from anywhere else. Mm. But we don't pretend that we can fix it. But in another case where it's not to do with mental health issues, it's really important to say to people, you need to take responsibility for this. So for example, one of the things that we can't do is we can't provide accommodation for people. We can't pay for people to be in a hotel every night of the week. We have to say to people, you have to work out, these are the places you can go, these are the things you can do to, to get off the streets. You have to do that. We are not going to give you money to provide you accommodation that night. Mm. Um, so th in that sense, in a different kind of situation, we recognize that you can't just throw money at a person mm. because that will create dependency. Mm. And I know there are folks who think that food banks create dependency. Uh, but our experience is that the people who are dependent on us would otherwise starve mm. because they are that vulnerable, they mm. need to be dependent on somebody and there's nobody else. Mm. But the vast majority of people, um, the vast majority of people who use our food bank actually use it once or twice. Mm. If you look at the numbers, the vast majority of the people do not come back. We were there at a moment of crisis. Mm. So I don't think that dependency is a big issue, but it's something that we're aware of. Mm. I think that in our own individual care for people, it's very important to try not to create dependency. Mm. 
and to try to give people independence. Mm. And therefore, that's about not dictating to them what they do, but encouraging them to own the decisions they make and ownership of choice. So if, you, if we move away from our food bank and into our individual care for people in, in crisis, it's very important to, to give people ownership of their life and that they are responsible for their choices. So you ask them questions, you give them options, but you don't tell them what to do and you don't do it for them. So we never see ourselves as the knight in shining armour that comes no. in to solve every problem. No. We take everybody on face value, they come in, everybody's different, everybody's got a different story and a different situation, but we're most certainly not trying to tell people how to run their lives and what to do. We're trying to help people to come to terms with where they're at and we're trying to help them to move on to take responsibility for their lives and as you say sometimes it's a nudge in this direction did you know that such and such exists or actually if you don't have a phone come and use our phone uh, we'll help you work out who it is that you need to call to sort it out but we're not looking to be the all oh, singing and dancing yeah. get us we're going to sort yeah. everything out in your life and maybe we should do a session on, on sort of how we care for people mm. because I think it's important. But essentially our ethos as a church is that we want to walk alongside people yeah. and point them to the one that can help them. Yeah. But we are not the Messiah. No. Uh, we, a pastoral care is about being with people in situations and bringing them to Jesus, not being Jesus for them. Yeah, excellent. So, final one minute. Sum up. Poverty. How can we play our part? Sum up would be to say that God calls us to be generous and to care and to share with those who have less than us. Yep. That, that doesn't mean we're going to solve the problem and be, we're not to be overwhelmed by it. We do what we can. Mm. That we are not there to judge but we are there to offer grace and where we see injustice where we see that things might make a difference if they were done differently yeah. that we play our part in bringing about that change fantastic brilliant can we thank you all for joining with us this evening whether you're here in the church or whether you are somewhere watching us on YouTube or maybe you're watching the record a little bit later on in the week it's been wonderful to have you with us if you've got any questions that have sprung into your mind and you want to talk about anything that we've talked about further if you email us at qol at scbc.org.uk we can carry on uh, the conversation if you like now, we have more live streams on Sunday, 8.30, 10.30, and 6.30. What exciting things have we got this week, Donald? Well, I just want to rescue Shrade from the happy hand. The happy hand is, is not being <laughs> so happy. falling on her head. <laughs> <laughs> so, bless her. Um, what's happening this week is yes. that on Sunday morning, 8.30, we've got Alison and Laurie coming to share with us, which is really Great. good. I'm looking forward to that. At 10.30, uh, we will have Lillian Jemima coming to sing with us, and you and I are doing that. And then we've got Grow Together Sunday afternoon, which is an event for children and their adults in their life. And then Sunday evening, you and Deb are leading our stream. 
fabulous. If you ever want to come to any of our live streams, whether it's Questions of Life, whether it's our Sunday live streams, whether it is Cafe Church, if you go to our website, www.scbc.org.uk, on the front page, there is a box that you can click and you can book into any of those. You can also book into Grow Together and find out more about that if you have children and you want to grow and learn together and do some craft and activities and some fun stuff. Check that out as well. But from Shrade, from Donald, from me, can we say thank you? And we'll see you again soon. Good night. Cheerio.